God, we thank you for being able to gather this morning to study your word together in small groups at Sunday school. God, and we would just ask during this time that you would do what only you can do by taking your word and making it come alive to us, to encourage us and instruct us and convict us where we need it. God, I pray that we would all grow this morning and that we would see you through your word. Amen. So we're coming this morning to the last of four Sunday morning messages that we've been doing from Revelation. Um, In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the churches, Christ had John pin seven small letters to churches, mostly in modern-day Turkey and in Greece. And we get the benefit of seeing these letters and seeing how they can apply to us. Most of the letters come with both warnings and compliments. Two of the letters came only with compliments, and some of the letters come only with warnings. And that's one of the ones that we're going to look at today. It's actually going to be the last of the letters in Revelation chapter 3 to the church in Laodicea. And it's going to be much like the one that we looked at last Sunday. It is a church that, unfortunately, Christ didn't have a lot good to say to this church. But as we read it this morning, I do think it will be a very encouraging text for us because in this passage, we see Christ really clearly. And it's always encouraging to see the person and work of Christ revealed in the Bible. Let's read it this morning together, if you will. Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 14. It says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and solve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As we look at this text this morning, I want us to divide it up and look at basically four different truths in this this text. And the first truth isn't a pleasant truth, but it's a truth that's important. It's a truth about the gospel and a truth about what a church is supposed to be like. You'll notice when we started reading in verse 15 that Christ doesn't have any compliments for this church. A lot of the churches that we've studied and some of the ones that we didn't study, he starts out always by saying, I know your works. And then he either lists some to compliment them or he jumps right into the fact that there really aren't any works to commend them for. 
And that's what we see here. He says, I know your works. And the fact is, you're neither cold nor hot. Some of the churches, he compliments their love. Some of the churches, he compliments their commitment to guarding truth or their service or their grace or their works. But not the church at Laodicea. Laodicea is in modern-day Turkey. That's where Laodicea is located. And Christ just jumps right into corrections. I'll be honest with you, when he says that you're neither cold nor hot, and he wishes that they were either cold or hot, um, there's a little bit of difficulty figuring out here exactly what Christ means. So I'll give you what I think are probably the two best interpretations of that, and then I'll tell you kind of the way that I lean, what I think is, makes the most sense. Historically, in my own life, I have viewed this text as a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church at Laodicea. And he's telling them that in regards to their relationship with Christ and how they view Christ, they're neither cold nor hot. It would be kind of like if you had a relationship with a great friend or with a spouse that had grown cold over the years, and you're no longer passionate about the person, but you're not enemies, you're not hot or cold, you're just somewhere in the middle. And that that would be a description of the church at Laodicea and their relationship to Christ, that somehow they had slipped into a neutral place where they weren't opposing Christ in his ministry, but they also weren't in love with him anymore. And Christ says, I wish you were cold or hot. I wish you could just make a decision. And because you won't, I'm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I think that could be an interpretation of this passage that we at least have to acknowledge because other places in the Bible um, teach that God hates when people are close to the truth and yet refuse to make a decision. And that could have been where Laodicea was. They had all the facts about who Christ was. They knew what a faithful church was supposed to be like and yet they chose to remain indecisive. They couldn't commit to the Lord. In that case, the church at Laodicea would have been full with knowledgeable people who didn't have a real relationship with Christ. People who had come to a knowledge of the truth, but denied the real power of God in their lives. When I think of places in Scripture that support this type of attitude, that Christ could be in response to that, could say, I, I would rather you be cold towards me than just neutral. When I think about that and scriptural support, I think of Christ when he stood before many of the cities that he administered in, and he said, Woe to you, Capernaum. Woe to you, Chorazan. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If you remember back to the Gospels, and he says, If the works that had been done in you had been done in Sidon and Tyre and even Sodom, those cities would have repented. And then he said, it's, it's actually going to be worse on the day of judgment for the, the cities of Israel than for those lost pagan cities because they had so much opportunity and yet refused to believe in Christ. And if we're being honest, anyone who attends church could fall into that category. Anyone who attends church could be in danger of that being true of them to understand the gospel, and yet refuse to commit to the Lord. 
That's the way I've interpreted this passage for years. Um, but I've actually come to the point where I don't think that's exactly what he's talking about. While that is a real danger, and, and that, that danger highlights the importance of, of making a decision to follow Christ. Today's the day of salvation, Paul would say. And it highlights the fact that the gospel is an incredible gift to mankind, but knowledge of the gospel is also a great responsibility. Knowing the gospel puts the responsibility on us to believe it or not. And so it is realistic that Christ could have told the church at Laodicea, how can you know so much about me and be so close to me and still just decide not to? to make a decision. Still be neutral. Not reject me and be cold, but not fall in love with me and be passionate about me. That would be insulting to who Christ is. That he could love us that much and sacrifice that much for us. It deserves a response. And so we are reminded this morning that the gospel deserves a response. But I think that he may be getting at something a little bit different here. And I'd like to illustrate it just with a kind of a story from my own life that I think is kind of funny. Um, I think that he's talking about water here. I think he's talking about having hot water or having cold water and Laodicea being like lukewarm water. When I was in high school, a lot of times for family vacations, we would go hiking in the summer. And there's a lot of great places to go hiking in the summer, like the mountains or by the beach, the ocean or even in some forests where there's a lot of trees. But for some reason that eludes me, we decided to hike in the Grand Canyon, which is not one of those great places to go hiking in the summer because it was brutally hot. And we kept doing it over and over and over and over again. I mean, I think we went five or six times to hike in the Grand Canyon. Like somebody should have told us there were cooler places to hike in the summertime. But it was a beautiful, a beautiful place, and we really enjoyed it. It was a challenge. But this hike through the Grand Canyon, the total amount of miles that we were walking was like 24, 25 miles. And a lot of times we would try and do it all in a day. And um, the elevation change, you would lose a vertical mile and then have to hike, hike back up again. So it was very challenging, and, and it was very hot. And our greatest challenge was staying hydrated like we should. And we would bring Gatorade, we would bring bottles of water, we would bring some of those, those camelback um, bladders that'll hold like two liters of water and there'll be a straw that comes out of your backpack that you can drink, we would take that. But we learned very quickly that about two o'clock in the afternoon when it got hot, there was no such thing as cold water in the Grand Canyon. You could not maintain cold water. And we tried everything. We, we almost got obsessed about finding ways to keep the water cold when we were hiking. And we would try and fill bottles with water, and we would freeze them, and then we would throw them in our backpack. We would get insulated thermoses, but it was so hot that we, we couldn't keep it. And about 2 or 3 o'clock, when we would be hiking up and trying to get out of the Grand Canyon, realizing that we had made a terrible mistake, uh, we would be drinking this lukewarm water. And I remember thinking sometimes... I don't even know why I'm swallowing this. Because there were certain stages in the Grand Canyon where they had piped in water, and so there would be a spigot, and because it had been underground, it would be cool. And so you knew if you could just get to that spot, you could refill and you'd have cool water for a little while. 
But I remember thinking on those hikes sometimes, I can't bring myself to swallow this tepid, lukewarm water that tastes like plastic from being in this bladder all day. And I would think to myself, just to have something refreshing, just to have something cool, or just to have something that has some sort of properties that would benefit me, like Gatorade with some electrolytes and some sugar and some salt, to have something that could, that could actually benefit me on this hike. And sometimes I would take a sip of that lukewarm water and I would think, this is only good for rinsing out my mouth. I can't swallow this. And as I experience that hiking in the Grand Canyon, I can't help but think about this passage. And I think it helps us to realize what Christ's response to the church at Laodicea is. I think Christ was thinking of the, La- of the church at Laodicea like I was thinking of the water in the Grand Canyon. I drink it and it's not refreshing. I drink it and it's not healing to me in any way. It just makes me want to spit it out. And the reason I think that is because of the circumstances, the geographical circumstances around the church at Laodicea. As I was studying this, I found it fascinating, but Laodicea was a city without any good sources of water. There were two sources of water for the church of Laodicea, neither of them beneficial. If you went five to ten miles inland, there was another city up on a plateau that had water, and it was hot springs water. Um, There was one of those hot springs with a high mineral content, and people would travel to this city from all across modern-day Turkey to receive the benefits of this hot spring. And they believed that by breathing in the vapors and by getting in the water, it had some medicinal value. And it was great hot water at this local city about five miles away. But as it flowed down towards the sea, it would pass Laodicea. And it would flow over the cliffs, and and it was a river. And there was actually a bridge that you would cross this water to get to Laodicea. And a lot of times travelers, much like us in the middle of the Grand Canyon, were parched after traveling under the heat of the Middle Eastern sun. And they would would stoop down to drink from what looked like a, a clear crystal stream. But instead of it being cool water, it was warm, tepid, brackish mineral water. And they would have to spit it out. So there was hot water that couldn't be used in Laodicea. But five miles away in another direction, there was actually another city that had great water, and it was cold water. They had not hot springs, but just cool underground springs that would rise up. And it was great water for that city. And Laodicea tried to tap into that source, and they actually built a bunch of aqueducts. I mean, you can still see them standing today, the Roman aqueducts. And they built these to funnel the water from this city to the five or ten miles to Laodicea. But by the time it made it there, traveling in those aqueducts or underground stone pipes, it had lost all of its refreshing ability, and it was, once again, warm, lukewarm, tepid water, a little bit dirty from traveling in the aqueducts. Every person at Laodicea knew that they didn't have access to good water. And when Jesus told them, you're not cold, you're not hot, you're just lukewarm, gross water that I want to spit out, all of them would have known of many instances when they saw travelers spit out the water because there was nothing good. 
and try as they might, Laodicea couldn't get good hot water or good cold water to their town. And Jesus is telling the church, through your lack of devotion, you have become spiritually like the water that you have to drink every day. Just like when I was in the canyon, I realized I, I don't have cold water that's refreshing, and I don't have even something like Gatorade that would at least contain some sort of um, benefit to me by replacing um, needed minerals and electrolytes. The church at Laodicea had ceased to be a benefit to the community around them. They provided no refreshment like cold water can and no healing like hot water can. And Jesus said, you guys have missed it. You guys have missed it. And he, it made him have a, almost like a gag reflex. He couldn't stomach what Laodicea had become. And I'll just remind us this morning, the church is supposed to be salt and light to the community around us, to the lost. And if we lose that, then we may be in danger of hearing this rebuke from Christ as well. Not refreshing, not healing, just lukewarm. And I think that while I've always believed that it could be describing a relationship, and that may be an interpretation for this passage, now I lean more towards him describing water that's not beneficial because of the, the circumstances around Laodicea. Christ was speaking to their situation and to their understanding and to their culture. And it was a great illustration. Guys, the gospel is both a gift and a responsibility. And either way you interpret this, you wind up with the realization that the gospel is a responsibility. Either with the first interpretation, you realize, I have a responsibility to respond to Christ and to not put him off. He is worthy of a response. Or I have the responsibility of being a refreshing water to the community around me or a healing water to the community around me. Either way, we're left with the acknowledgement that we have a responsibility of, as God's people to deal appropriately with the gospel and those around us. And the church at Laodicea had lost that. And it is a, a brutal message that Christ has to them. Look at what he says. He gives them the threat, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That's how I feel. And then in verse 17, he says, you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing. But you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I don't know about you guys, but I've never actually met someone who's physically both wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. If you reach that stage in life, it doesn't get any worse than being wretched, poor, having nothing, pitiable, blind, can't even see, and naked. You don't even have clothing. And Christ said, you guys think you're well off, but you're actually over here. You're wretched, poor, pitiable, blind, and naked. That description makes me think that the makeup of the church at Laodicea was a people that did not know the Lord. These words, these descriptions that Christ used to describe them, are descriptions throughout all of the Bible that are used to describe the lost world. People who need Christ and don't have a relationship with him. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 4. 
In Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth, and he's going to preach there. And you remember, it starts out great. Everyone is speaking well of Christ, and by the end of this section of Scripture, they're trying to throw him off a cliff. But what Christ says in Luke 4 at his hometown of Nazareth is a great picture of what the gospel is. Look in verse 16 of Luke 4. It says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me. And then listen to this description of what God anointed Christ to do. To proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. The church at Laodicea was wretched, poor, blind, miserable, and naked. And in Luke chapter 4, Christ says, I came to minister, I was anointed to minister to those people. The people who are poor and blind and oppressed and captive. The church at Laodicea was in a bad place. They were in a place where they had nothing spiritually. They couldn't provide anything. They were lukewarm, water, not cool, not hot. They couldn't provide anything to the community because they themselves had nothing to offer. Poor, wretched, blind, pitiable, and naked. And in Luke chapter 4, God, God's like, that's why I sent Christ to minister to people like that. So while the church at Laodicea was in a terrible place, hear me, they were in a place where they could receive Christ's blessing. All of us start poor, blind, naked, wretched, miserable, pitiable, with nothing. While the church at Laodicea was in a bad spot, they were in a perfect spot to receive the gospel. And that's why I love this letter that Christ gives to the church at Laodicea, because he paints it in such vivid terms how completely helpless they are. If you're blind, poor, naked, you can't do anything for yourself. You need someone to come and to help you in all the ways that you can't be helped. To help you in all the ways that you can't help yourself. And that's what Christ is about to do for this church. He's about to fulfill all of their needs. And I love this because it reveals to us the heart of Christ. Christ can look at a group of people and say, you've completely missed it. You're not being a benefit to your community refreshing or healing, cold or hot. I have nothing good to say about you, but he's not done with them. And there could be some of us here this morning that, man, we know the gospel, and we've heard it over and over and over and over again, and it's come to the point where we just accept it. Like, yeah, I know that's the truth, but it hasn't impacted us yet. And this morning, Christ would tell you, like the church at Laodicea, come to me. Look at what he says. He says, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And then in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and to buy salve from me to anoint your eyes so that you may see. The three big, biggest issues for the church at Laodicea was that they were blind, they were poor, and they were naked. And what did Christ have to offer? 
medicine to fix the blindness, gold to fix the poverty, and clothing to fix the nakedness. And I'll just tell you guys, Christ was the solution to every need that Laodicea had. And that's true for us this morning too. Christ is the solution for every spiritual need you have. And that's a good word to the lost and to the believer. If you're lost and you don't have a relationship with God, you've never put your faith in Christ, you need to hear that Christ has the solution to all your needs. But a lot of times as believers, we go through life, and while we acknowledge that's true about Christ, we don't run to him as if he has the solution to all of our needs. And that never changes. I don't care if you've walked with Christ for 45 years. He still has all of the solutions to all of your needs. He is a generous God who has everything good for us in life. He's the God of all blessing. The cattle on all the hills are his. He possesses it all and can provide for our needs. What's interesting about this is this also ties into Laodicea's political, cultural, geographical landscape that would have been well known to this church. Laodicea didn't have good water, but they did have incredible commerce. Laodicea was an intersection of multiple highways, so commerce had flourished there. And what was Laodicea known for? They were known for their banking system, for the wool that they produced, and for having one of the most incredible medical schools in the entire region. Their medical school, um, it was actually it was associated with their, their pagan god. They worshipped a god that um, they worshipped him for his medical healing abilities. Um, but we actually have adopted that symbol that came from that medical school today. If you see on um, like an EMT patch or something like that, the, the symbol of the snake and a pole, that's what that came from. They were well known for their medical school and their training of doctors in the field. Their banking system was so good. Laodicea was so rich that within 10 decades, not 10 decades, within 10 years of when this letter was written, there was an incredible earthquake that just leveled Laodicea. And they were so wealthy that the Roman emperor offered to help rebuild Laodicea, and they said, no, thank you. They told the federal government, what would have been the federal government, no, we don't really need your help. Imagine if a tornado wiped out Weatherford, and we had so much cash at hand that we told the federal government, we don't need or want your help. Let us rebuild our city on our own. That's the type of wealth that Laodicea had. So when Christ said, you guys need my gold, my clothing, and my medicine, that was, once again, what they were known for. He was saying, I need to be your source for these things. Don't go to anyone else to try and fix your spiritual needs. Come to me. And I just got to say in passing, in verse 18, when he says, I counsel you to buy from me, he's not telling us that we have to bring our own currency to get these spiritual needs from him. We don't earn anything from God spiritually. We don't purchase anything from God spiritually. Christ is just trying to emphasize the fact that he's their provider. He's their source. When you realize this need, you need to come to me to get it. Don't chase after anyone else. 
Don't come trying to purchase this from anyone else. I'm the best source. I'm the best provider. He's the only provider. But these are things that the Laodiceans would have known. That These are things they were known for. And Christ was saying, physically, materially, you may not be able to find anywhere like Laodicea for the clothing, the money, and the medicine. But when I'm looking at you guys, you're bankrupt spiritually in all of these areas. It's a picture of people who have been around Christ and yet haven't experienced the renewing power of the Holy Spirit. They're still stuck in sin. And Christ doesn't turn them away. Please hear me. Christ is incredibly frustrated with this church for their lack of ability to follow him and to really know him. And yet he's gracious. In this letter, we see the patience of Christ come forward. You can be so close to Christ and yet not have a relationship with him, and he's still there offering to fix all of your spiritual needs. And I love the patience we see about Christ. In verse 19, he says, Those whom I love I reprove and I discipline, so be zealous and repent. That verse makes me think there may have been at least a few believers in the church at Laodicea because he says, Those whom I love I reprove and I discipline. And that's almost the exact same language that we see in Hebrews when it talks about God disciplining his children in chapter 12. Almost the exact same language. Christ is like the good father that tries to correct the bad mistakes of his children. He doesn't sit back at a distance and let them just run off into error. He chases after them. He's chasing after these people at Laodicea, wanting them to be in true fellowship with him wanting them to experience all of his blessings. And he knows that they can't do it unless they repent. So what we see so far in this passage is our need to respond to the gospel and our responsibility in regards to the gospel. We see our need for Christ presented in the gospel. Like in Luke 4, Christ came to minister to the poor, the blind, and the wretched. And that's a description of all of humanity. We see Christ's willingness to provide for our spiritual needs. And if that's not a great enough picture of patience, he gives us another. Look in verse 20. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will eat with him and he with me. Have you noticed that if you go and visit someone's house, there are many types of knockers? Like you may have friends who go and they knock twice and they give five seconds and if you don't answer the door, they're gone. Somebody did that to us a week or two ago. Um, Someone came and knocked on the door and by the time I had made it into the living room to open the door, they were gone. And I was like, where in the world did they go? Like I was on my way. So you have those type of knockers and that may be you. Or you have the type of knockers who, man, they're, they're so patient to a fault. And they're like, hey, maybe the person inside just doesn't want to open the door to you, but they'll knock, and then they'll stand there for three minutes, and then they'll knock again, and then they'll stand there for three minutes. And there are many types of ways that people knock. And guys, I'll just tell you, that's the type of knocker that Christ is. Christ is the type of guy who stands at the door, and he knocks, and he just waits. 
and he'll wait for us to respond. He may not stand there forever. Don't get me wrong. He may not stand there forever, but he is patient. And Christ is telling them, I'm knocking at the door. I'm here right now. And this is what I want to point out to you. Look back up in verse 15. He says, you're lukewarm, you're neither hot or cold, and I will spit you out of my mouth. That's a warning for a future date. You're lukewarm, and if nothing changes, I'm eventually going to spit you out of my mouth. It's the warning that that's what I'm going to do. But look at how he says it in verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door, and I knock. He's willing to spit them out of his mouth if nothing changes. That's in the future, but where is he currently? Standing at the door and knocking. He could have, whatever that would have looked like, okay, let's just be honest, we don't know exactly what that would look like for Christ to spit the church of Laodicea out of his mouth, but that's not good. Whatever that's going to look like, it's going to be bad. It's, it's a judgment against that church. He could have done that immediately if he had so chosen. He has that ability. He has that authority. And yet he chooses to put it off to give them a chance to open the door. And I'll just tell you guys, the fact that we're all here this morning is a testimony to the patience and willingness of God to, to give us another chance. Guys, God is so patient. Christ is so patient. He offers an opportunity even to a church that is not healthy at all. He offers an opportunity for them to open the door. And the picture of what will happen if they open the door is a great picture. It's a picture of a family meal or a picture of a meal between friends. It's a picture of fellowship, guys. Here's a church who either has decided not to make a decision about the Lord or they've wandered so far away from him that they're no longer being a, a source of refreshment or healing in their community, and yet Christ is saying, I'm still here. I'm still at the door knocking. And if you'll just open it, I'll come in, and I will eat with you, and he will eat with me, and there will be fellowship. This letter shows the patience of Christ and the the graciousness of the gospel. And I hope if you're here this morning and, and you've never trusted Christ, you've never put your faith in him, I hope that you realize that could be true of you this morning, that Christ can fix all of your spiritual needs, that Christ is standing at the door to your life, knocking, willing to come in. And believer, let that encourage you as well, that our Lord is a Lord who wants to fellowship with his people. And our Lord is also a Lord who supplies the solution to our needs. John closes this letter with a great picture of the one who conquers. Look in verse 21. He says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and I sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I love this passage. I hope this passage has encouraged you this morning. I hope you realize your responsibility to the gospel, both to grasp onto it with everything you have as an individual, as well as to be a source of refreshment and healing to people around us. We, we are ministers of the gospel. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians and in Romans. I hope you realize that this morning. The gospel is a gift. It's also a responsibility. Go to Christ for all your spiritual needs. Open the door to Christ. He is patient and gracious. Let me pray for us this morning, and then we will worship Christ again in, in a song. And I would just encourage you to take that time as Larry and the band come up to lead us in that song. Take that time to do business with God. If you're a believer or an unbeliever, um, come to Christ as the Christ. Christ is presented in this passage as a great banker with gold and a great philanthropist with clothing and a great doctor. And he can be that for, for all of us this morning. God, I thank you that even though this church had wandered so far from you and they were apostate, God, that you, you didn't turn your back on them. You wrote them a letter to try and draw them back, to try and get them to come to you and to open the door for you. And God, you're, you're like that to us this morning as well. You would, you would tell us to open the door. You would tell us to come to you for the healing and the clothing and for the sight that we need. God, I pray that you would help us to run to you and to always, uh, to always linger in your presence, God. To never grow complacent when it comes to our responsibility with the gospel. To, to realize that it, you can't be a Christian just by going to church. You can't be a Christian just by performing religious activities. You, you have to respond to the gospel. And you have to come to Christ. I pray that all of us, that that would be true for us this morning, Lord. Amen.